Welcome to the Bruin Success Podcast. Today's interview is with Emily Baxt, Bruin Career Coach and Principal at Baxt Consulting. She specializes in professional growth and development for teams and individuals in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. And she has supported students and alumni at the University of San Diego Career Development Center for over 20 years. She particularly enjoys helping people find purpose and meaning in the workplace. She's an adjunct faculty member in the Shiley Marcos School of Engineering at USD and a popular guest lecturer in departments across the USD campus. She is also a Myers-Briggs Type Indicator Master Practitioner, a Gallup Certified Coach, and a California Licensed Clinical Counselor. Emily is also part of our UCLA Career Coaches Network and because of her expertise has led many successful workshops, which you can find on our YouTube channel. Welcome Emily to the podcast. Welcome back to the Bruin Success Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Emily Baxt. We're excited to speak with her about the career journey that she's created for herself in higher education. Welcome, Emily. Thank you, Carolyn. I'm happy to be here today. Well, we'd love to start off by understanding a bit more about your career trajectory. You know, originally you were a women's studies major at UCLA. Um, You've since worked in higher ed, worked independently as a career coach, development consultant. Can you tell us how you got from point A to point B? I'd be happy to. And it's a winding road. So I I like a lot of times with my clients, I'll talk about this too. In hindsight, there's a really wonderful narrative that makes sense. But in the moment, it did not feel that way for most of my career in the early years, especially. So I've ended up in a really rewarding portfolio career. I have lots of different things that I get to do. But in college, I had no idea. So I I just worked a lot at UCLA because I loved that. And it was a lot of fun. I thought it would probably get me somewhere. Um, I worked at the front desk of my dorm. And I worked there in the summers as well. So I had kind of maybe a vague idea that I'd go into hotel management. Um, I also loved being an RA. I loved RA training, but I didn't really think of that as career related. I didn't really know what an RA would be outside of the college um, setting. Sure, that doesn't exactly track to something specific. So I understand that. No, it did not. It didn't feel that way for me. Um, and when I graduated, I ended up moving to Boston. So I laugh now that I, I always say I did everything wrong. So I didn't have a, I didn't go to the career center at UCLA other than one time. I didn't have an internship. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then when I moved to another city, I would love to say that I joined the UCLA club of Boston, started volunteering, but I did not. I sat in my apartment with my two cats and applied to jobs from the want ads like we did back then. And, you know, just really struggled. I think trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I did some temp work. And then I ended up getting a job. My first job out of college was working for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts Budget Bureau as a production assistant. Hmm. It's a really interesting way of saying that I was a professional coffee fetcher, um, which was really fun in a way. So I worked with this other team of people. We worked long hours to to get the budget out for the Commonwealth. Um, And in the two years that I was there, I just started volunteering to take on more and more duties. And that made my job more enjoyable. And so I kind of learned from that, like a little more about what I liked and didn't like, moved back to California, still didn't know what I wanted to do, ended up getting a job in special events for a large nonprofit. Now that was better. I liked working for a nonprofit. I liked what they were about. Um, Planning events was fun for me. I liked details and events, but still I felt like something was missing. So this whole time too, I was in touch with my UCLA friends. We were always talking, what do we want to do? What's coming next? And again, it was a struggle for me. I wasn't okay with just liking my job okay. Mm. Parents are both teachers, retired teachers now, and they loved their work. 
So they had modeled that for me and I knew it was possible and I wanted that too. I just didn't know how to get it. So eventually when I did find career counseling, career development and facilitation, I loved it. And I ended up getting um, a position after graduate school with the University of San Diego, loved working in the career center there, still love working there. And my director at the time helped me make my position go part-time when I had kids. So this was like a phase, you know, I had kind of different phases in my career and that phase, I feel really grateful for and really lucky that I had that because it was a professional role, but it also allowed me to spend a lot of time with my family. My kids were in a cooperative school. So we spent a lot of time with that school and those families. And I loved being able to be involved. So that was kind of like, I feel like the middle part of my career. But during this time, I kept doing a lot of different things. So I, um, I taught on and off at the Shiley Marco School of Engineering, which I really enjoy. I still do that sometimes. Well, what did you teach? Um, I teach some professional practice type classes for emerging engineers. So I always say your other classes are teaching you your technical engineering work. I'm going to teach you all the other things you need to know to, to stay, to get employed and stay employed. Um, so some work there and also a class on designing your life. So just some of the different um, pieces to kind of help them with those other aspects of career. Then I also obtained my license. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, so I worked on that. I just always had something else kind of that I was adding in, some different certifications and things. So that's been a big part of my career is continuing. Now, even though I've been, one of my roles has been the same for over 20 years, I've been able to change it and keep adding to it. And as my kids got a little older, I started wanting to do something else. And that's when I started my consulting business. And I love that. So I've been getting some invitations to lead some workshops outside the university. And now I do that. I work with different corporations, um, management training, facilitating retreats. And then I also provide individual career coaching, which I love. So I have a lot of different things that happen in my life. When I look back, I can see how, oh, of course, being an RA is like a paraprofessional counseling role. And this all feeds in together. Um, and I can see how all the jobs I had, even the fact that I hated my jobs or was miserable sometimes in my jobs helps inform me as a career coach and a career counselor. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In the moment, it didn't really feel good or help. But now when I look back, I'm like, oh, it's a perfect picture. Hindsight always makes it easier. And I, I really do love my work and I keep thinking of more things I want to do. So I, I know I'm, I'm still still on that path. Interesting. Well, you touched on a few things, you know, your, your parents' occupations as teachers that they really enjoyed and uh, sort of figuring out what you liked, what you didn't like, taking on additional roles. Was there a point at which, you know, your experiences really inspired you to work in higher education where you said, okay, I'm going to go after this. I'm going to specifically go um, to work at a university. How did, how did you make that choice or, or was it something that you sort of discovered? Yeah, I love that question because it's so interesting for me to think back on that time. Um, I loved being a college student. So I loved my time at UCLA. I had so much fun. And when I left, when I graduated and left, I was always drawn to jobs at colleges. And I would think to myself, Emily, college is over. You can't do that anymore. Like our <laughs> training is over. You're done. You got to move on with your life. So it really appealed to me and called to me for years. And I dismissed it. It, it took me a while to realize that that was like a legitimate career choice and that not everyone was feeling that way about college. Um, and I also really realized that I had, you know, I was starting to tap into the fact that I really had a talent and interest in helping people and helping people develop. Mm. It did take a while um, for me to understand that. And that's something I talk about with my clients too, which is like, hey, it took me a long time to pay attention to 
my own desires and what I wanted and what appealed to me. Like, let's start tuning into that. But I think too, there's, there's just this pull toward that age group for me. Um, there's some incredible growth that happens in that developmental stage that the traditional age that many students are going to college. And I love being able to travel with them during that, where they're discovering their identity, figuring out how that you know, appeals and applies to their life. I just never get tired of it. Um, and once I got to the university and started working at the university, I love also the environment of higher education. So I'm surrounded by experts, like people who are doing amazing cutting edge work, who are passionate about their work. I have the opportunity to go to lectures and, and talk to people who are experts. Um, just this constant exposure to learning and the focus on helping students in that particular age. I love it. So I feel like that is definitely the right place for me. I'm never going to give up higher education. I'm, I'm keeping that somewhere in my portfolio at all times. I love to hear that. I think a lot of people really do enjoy that time in life and it is full of development, learning. Um, I think like self um, identification, you know, what, what makes us tick? What do we like? So I can totally understand why you felt drawn to that time period for sure. For sure. Thanks for sharing that. Could you also share, um, you know, you, you did sort of mention very casually that you're also a licensed professional clinical counselor, which is no small feat. That's, that's quite the program. Um, how did you decide to pursue that? And how did you pick that specific um, um, major and, and field of study? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, this kind of takes me back to that period of time, the four or five years after graduating from UCLA, where I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I actually had sort of an aha moment, which I tell my clients, don't expect one. Sometimes you're going to get them, but you're not always going to. But mm -hmm. I had this aha moment talking to an MFT about his work. And I was like, why am I not doing this? Like, this is what I want to be doing. I should be doing this. And so I started talking to people who work in different therapeutic and helping type careers. So, you know, I talked to an LCSW, what was that like? And why should I do an LCSW over an MFT over, you know, there were all different degrees and I just didn't really understand what to do, but I really tried to collect that information. And I ended up choosing doing a master of arts in counseling because the programs that I was looking at, they had an emphasis in higher education or college student development. So that was the part that I think I was drawn to. I kind of knew I wanted this helping role and I wanted it to be with that age group um, or on that in that particular environment. When I started the program that I went into, I did not know exactly what job I wanted to do. I just had this vague idea that I was gonna be helping, doing some type of counseling and working on a college campus. Um, and one of the specialty tracks in my program was career counseling, which mm -hmm. sounds totally boring to me. Uh <laughs> Career counseling sounded like, like work, HR. I don't know. It just sounded like, I was like, oh, I, I wasn't interested in that at all. But I had to take a three-unit class in career counseling. All of us did in the program. And when I was in that class, it was like a revelation for me. I thought, this is, this is about helping people be who they really are and contributing to the world in the way they want to contribute. It was just literally life-changing for me. So I immediately added that specialization along with my college student development and took the courses to do the career counseling. And I feel really lucky that I was able to do that dual emphasis. And I also have to say, I had an amazing internship in grad school. I got to work at Cal State San Marcos's career center. So shout out to Cal State San Marcos. 
Um, but I got to do career counseling in a college setting, which really cemented my learning, but also really knowing what I wanted to do. Hmm. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm starting to see how and why the, the pieces click together here. So now that you've worked as both a career counselor, or consultant, what does a, a day in the life sort of look like? Is this sort of the same? Um, do you see the same patterns come up in your work? Is it different? I mean, you've, you've been in some of these roles for a number of years now. Yeah. How about I give you a week in the life instead of a day in the life? Cause sure. like, <laughs> different. Um, so I do have a few days a week that I'm on campus at the University of San Diego working in the Career Center. I work with students and alumni and my work there, there's certain things that stay the same. So I do one-on-one -on -one appointments with people really helping them figure out what they wanna do and how to get there, um, which never gets old for me because every person of course has a different story and a different interest area. I do lots and lots of presentations. So I get to plan and develop and present and facilitate class presentations and, and things to other groups on a variety of topics. And, and so I get to keep learning in that area too, which is great. But then I also have other little pieces I do, you know, projects, events, um, whatever the needs, what we think is gonna feed the needs of our students and support them in the best way we can. So I get to do a lot of different project work there. I get to do a lot of um, informal mentoring, supervision, coaching with um, my colleagues and people across campus. For anyone who's worked in one organization for a long time, we, I have these conversations sometimes um, with different people. It's like being in a long-term relationship. There's ups, there's downs. You learn more about the, the other. In this case, the other is the organization. But there becomes like just this wonderful knowledge and expectation. So I, I love my time at USC. It's super comfortable, but always changing. And my other days... Um, tend to be a little more dynamic and there's some differences there. I do individual coaching work. So I do get to have some more one-on-one -on -one with a variety of different industries. And, and that's always interesting to me. I do presentations and facilitation around management skills. Like I said, I, so sometimes I'm zooming in and working with a group of 10 people on learning a particular skill um, pre-COVID. And now hopefully as we're moving to a different era of COVID, I do some in-person work and uh, that could be just maybe doing a Myers-Briggs type indicator workshop with a leadership development uh, group. So there's a lot of different things that I get to do in there. And then plus all the things that go with owning your own business, you know, in terms of preparation, the administration work and emails and, you know, kind of all the different tasks that go. But one thing I think is great about my life as a career consultant and career coach is I still have time to walk the dog with my husband and... <laughs> you know, work out when I want to and go to the grocery store during the daytime when it's not busy and do all the things that I like to do, which is really a priority for me. So it sounds like, you know, in addition to these different roles you've had, part of what you like is definitely the flexibility. And I think with different uh, generations and their priorities regarding their career, that flexibility or that work-life balance has gotten, um, has become more important. You know, it's, it's at the near the top of their priority list. How have you been able to build out this, this other career, this, you know, sort of like entrepreneurial experience that's similar to the work that you're doing on campus without, um, you know, your, your employer feeling, you know, that you're not giving them your all? Because I think this is something a lot of people struggle with when they are considering or they're starting to take steps to start or grow a small business? Mm -hmm. 
been really lucky that I have support from the administration, from my direct leaders and from other people in that area. I think part of the key when you're developing um, multiple streams of income or portfolio career is really looking at the overlap and the benefit to all the different organizations involved. So for me, the work that I do does not compete with or threaten um, or impact the work that I do at the university and instead can enrich it because I feel like I get a lot of contact and knowledge about different employers, different recruiting um, techniques and different things that I can bring back to the university. So that's a piece of it. But I think I've also been really, really fortunate to have this opportunity to have a part-time professional role, which again, is something we see people talking about more and more and wanting more and more of. Um, I happen to get it at a time that it wasn't very common. Yeah. So, you know, I, I feel lucky about that. I hold on to it for sure. It's made me into an incredibly loyal employee. So that's another piece to look at and, and something that um, someone in our HR department was doing some research around these part-time positions that exist on campus about 10 years ago. And that was part of what she was finding in her research is like, if I worked full-time at the university, I may have moved on to a different position by now. Right. You know, because there's lots of opportunities and things, but I have this wonderful gift of being able to be there part time. Um, so it's, it's made me a very, very grateful and loyal employee. So I, I think there's that, that touches a little bit on my particular experience. I think with other people, when they're looking at developing a business or um, something kind of aside or um, that goes along at the same time as their current role, it's really looking at how can you create those clear boundaries and make sure that it is seen as a benefit, not a threat. Hmm, interesting. Okay. I think that's good advice. I can see how, how that's played out for you. Yeah. When we think about career coaching, consulting, I think a lot of times, you know, I'm, I'm envisioning certainly an undergrad student coming to mind since you do have one of these roles working on a college campus with students. Do you typically consult in your small business with, with college student or I'll say college student age people as well, or does that look a little different in your private work? In private work, um, I work mostly with mid-career. So people who are more mid-career, once in a while I'll have somebody reach out to me who is early career or, or perhaps still in school. And I always encourage them to use the services that they have available to them at their university, just because, you know, you're already paying for it with your tuition, you know. Yeah, why not? Take advantage. But I, I tend to work a lot with people mid-career, usually who are quite successful in their career, but looking for something more or different. And usually they're having a hard time naming what that is. So that's, that's one of the places I work. I also work quite a bit with people who are returning to work after a break in their employment for whatever reason. Um, so those are two particular groups of people that I see quite a bit, but honestly, the questions and the struggles are fairly similar. They, they mirror even um, the same questions that I see with call, you know, people who are recent graduates and kind of figuring out what they want to do. Because really what the questions boil down to is, what am I meant to be doing? How can I have more meaning in the work that I'm doing? How can I feel like it's me, authentically me, so that I, when I get up and I go to work, I feel good about it? Yeah. Variations on those questions, but that is kind of what the work boils down to. So uh, what advice might you have for Bruins who 
haven't decided what direction to take their career or may want to pivot to something new. I, I don't want you to uh, give up any trade secrets here, but uh, oh. share a little bit about maybe how those conversations go or how you walk people through those transitions. Yeah, no secrets at all. Happy to share all of this. Um, I think so much of what happens in a career coaching or career counseling situation is that partnership. So um, I would say for people who are trying to figure out that direction, part of it is knowing that there is going to be a time for reflection and a time for action. So mm-hmm. often clients are skipping one or the other. So that's really what I want to look at with them. Um, some people are taking action right away. They're just applying for new jobs, like just jumping out there without taking time to figure out what they want. Other times people get stuck in their head and really mulling over and over what's the perfect thing without ever stepping outside of themselves. So reflection, I want that to look like really taking some time to see what's missing. What is missing in your current situation? Um, do you have a happy fantasy about work? You know, even if it seems unrealistic, what is it? What does that look like? You know, what, give me as many pieces as possible. Even if you're, you know, sometimes people are like, well, if I knew what the next job was, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, I know. But tell me more, like, what is it? Um, what are the things that sound appealing to you? This kind of line of questioning, I think, can really start to bring up what I call the wants versus the shoulds, like what you want versus what that social script is telling you. Um, Most of us have an internalized social script. It can sound like our parents' voice. It can sound like, you know, what we see on Instagram, whatever it is, but really trying to, to get the work I do, a lot of it is trying to figure out what is it that you genuinely want, what feels authentically like what you want versus what you feel like you should be doing. Um, compared to others or at this point in your life or whatever, whatever the, the measure is. So that's kind of the reflection piece. But then at some point you do have to get out of your head and you've got to start taking some action. So I really encourage people to talk to other people, just talk to them about their jobs um, and opportunities. I think UCLA One is a fantastic resource for this, being able to reach out to different people um, who have that brewing connection with you who might be willing to talk about their experiences using um, LinkedIn and going through the alumni feature there is super effective. But just being able to start talking to other people can be a small action that can make some different ripples and changes in what you're doing. Of course, working with a career coach, I think is wonderful. Uh, you know, it's, it's a great way to grow. And again, the UCLA Alumni Association has a list of career coaches that you can take a look at. But even it may look like um, go to that networking event, sign up for the class you're thinking about, and then eventually, yeah, apply for the job. You know, so there's some different actions that we have to take. It's all kind of part of this like approach where you want to be thoughtful, but at some point you just want to get going. And, and so I thought of one more thing too. You got to like perfection. That's a, I spent a lot of time talking about that. The next job doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be closer to what you want. People can get paralyzed thinking when they're making a career choice, it better be to the perfect, perfect thing. I imagine a lot of times that's just not realistic. It's more of an iterative process. There is no perfect. You know, let's just get closer to what you like with each step. That's what I, what I try to look at. Plus, it takes a lot of pressure off and then you can take some action if you're not trying to be perfect. Do you use personality or career assessments in your work? I do sometimes. So, um, Career and personality assessments have a place in exploration. With um, career counselors and coaches who use these tools, generally the way that it'll work is uh, we talk with clients, and that's how I operate. I'll really talk with my client to see 
what is it that they're hoping to get out of an assessment if they think they want to take an assessment? What's the goal? And then it can help them see if, if what they're expecting from the assessment is, in fact, the information that they will get. Uh, career assessments are tools. So it's simply a tool to try to get out some more information or insight. So sometimes I'll use these tools and sometimes we use other tools. You know, it just, it just really depends on, on the situation. But I do think that the tools can be helpful because they, as I said, they can provide insight, but they can also provide a framework or some vocabulary around some pretty nebulous ideas. So I think it's a way to view your past and maybe view how you can be effective in your future if you have a little bit of framework and vocabulary. I know working with teams um, when I use these tools and anyone who's been in any of my workshops around the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator or the Clifton Strengths Gallup's product, um, I say over and over again with teams, these tools are a way to help you identify differences and see those differences as positive. So that's really the, the way that I approach these different tools. They're not perfect. There is no perfect assessment tool. It's simply a way, a structure, some vocabulary to help with that. So what that looks like with individuals too, I think, uh, for example, with clicking strengths, if someone's able to articulate their strengths and really own those, that's gonna give them a sense of confidence, both in how they look at their past and what they've done and how, where they're headed. So, so many times people will say to me, like, particularly, for example, uh, people returning to work after break, I don't have anything to offer. I don't know how to do anything. You know, there's this, this real sense of a lack of confidence or confidence. Being able to use a tool like that can really help them start to articulate uh, what they are good at and remember examples of that. That's going to help them apply that to the future. So that, that's a way that I use that um, with individuals. But I also think they can be really helpful, like I said, in workplace settings, helping managers understand their direct reports and how to talk with them, helping teams understand how they work together, um, all the different ways that they can contribute. So they're, help, they're helpful tools, but unfortunately they are not crystal balls. I always say, you know, we wish it was some type of way to just find out magically what you're going to do and be happy with, but it can provide some insight. I like that. Yes. I think it's good to remind people that there's not a perfect career, as you said earlier, but also, yeah, you are not a fortune teller and you don't know what their ideal job or role is. And so you'll need them to really be a part of that ongoing process to move towards success in their own life. So yeah, thanks for sharing. So uh, a final question here for you. Uh, this wouldn't be the Bruins Success Podcast if we didn't ask you how you've defined success in your own life, what that's looked like and whether or not it's evolved for you. Well, when my husband and I were getting married and kind of planning our life together, we had a lot of conversations about this. Like, what did we want? And what we landed on was time. So that was kind of how we defined how we were gonna move forward with our life. We wanted time, time together, time with our parents, time with our kids who weren't born yet, but you know, we were hoping um, and time to do the things we liked. I'll also say that I'll add on to that, both of us kind of, as we continue to evolve this, having a sense of purpose and meaning in our work was really, really important to us. So that's kind of what we landed on. It's like time and feeling like we were contributing to the world in a positive way through our work. And I have to bring him into this conversation too, because he's part of, you know, my, my success and being able to define that. That's and, totally fine. And he's, he's a huge inspiration for me. So my husband's um, a success, he has a successful business as a science writer. So he loves to write. He gets to make his living by writing. 
but he also spends his week talking to scientists and doctors about like this amazing cutting edge science and discoveries, which he loves, he loves learning. Um, and then he gets to help communicate that information and support those initiatives and still have time to walk the dog with me and, you know, take a nap and, you know, travel and do all the different things that he likes to do. So similarly to my work, like we have this flexibility, but there's really that sense of meaning that drives us. We don't have fantasy, fantasies about retirement. You know, like a lot of our friends, you know, are like, oh, I'm looking forward to retiring or seven more years or whatever they're talking about. We both say like, I'm like, I don't think I ever want to retire, do you? And he's like, no, I don't, I don't, like, I don't want to retire. I'm just going to keep doing the things we love. And to me, that's success is that we have time to really spend time on the relationships that are important to us. Um, and we feel really, really lucky. And that includes, by the way, some of my UCLA friends who I still get to see all the time and feel like we're contributing and that our work has a meaning. Wow, that is a fantastic way to define success. And it's really the only thing, you know, we can, we can always make more money, we can change jobs, we can look for fulfillment, we really can't uh, bring in more time to our overall life, we're a bit limited in that capacity. So I love that you've prioritized that. I think that's a wonderful way to, um, you know, understand and define it in your own life. And what a great way to, to end this conversation. So before we go, just wanted to throw some fun rapid fire questions at you as well. And, and maybe you can tell us about a favorite place on campus. Okay, if I wanted to sound cool, I'd say the sculpture garden, but if I'm being real, probably Reaver Hall, Five South, the end of the hall, sitting in a patch of afternoon sunshine. Oh, I love how quickly that yeah. came. You could, you're causing me to be able to visualize that too. With the Very specific. Anybody living on Five South, soak it in. Very nice. And are there any, you know, um, media you've been enjoying recently, a show, music, books, mm -hmm. a series? Yeah, my husband and I have been alternating in the evenings watching uh, West Wing reruns and the second season of Insecure. So we're kind of going back and forth between those two shows. Super enjoying both of them. Nice. Great. And, and what about a favorite UCLA memory to wrap it up? I'm going to have to give two. And interestingly, they're both work-related. Um, RA training was so much fun. So loved my RA training that whole week. And I have a lot of fun memories about sorting mail with my fellow deskers at Reaver Hall. Wow, sorting mail. I mean, I know I should be saying like going to a football game or all these different things. I was having fun in the back room sorting your mail in Reaver Hall. Oh, that's great. I love it. Sometimes the, the unplanned, the mundane really are special memories and where we connect with people. So I think that that's great. That works. If that's what you think fondly of, you know, that's, that's a special and, and unique memory for sure. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. Definitely involved. Um, I've definitely enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about your career. We appreciate you sharing advice for Bruins as well. Thank you, Caroline. It was so much fun. And thank you, Bruins, for listening. Thanks so much. Join in for our next episode in the future. Until then, go Bruins. Many thanks to Emily for her great interview. If you want more content from Emily, we have several fantastic webinars with her. You can find effective job search strategies during a pandemic and pushing past imposter syndrome on our UCLA alumni YouTube channel. For this episode's career tip, we have one from one of our directors on the alumni career engagement team, Allison Beckman. 
Allison says, when you start a new job, always meet as many people as possible within your organization. Ask them to go to coffee or a lunch or even jump on a Zoom. Ask them about their journey and the work they do. You will feel so much more ingrained in the organization. Thanks, Allison, for that reminder to make connections throughout your new organization. If you'd like to submit your tip, send it to us at ace at support.ucla.edu. Thanks for listening and go Bruins.